0: EMSradio.com.
1: EMS information for the next generation.
0: The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, EMSgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. This episode of the EMS Garage is brought to you by Audible.com. Over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and more. Get a free audiobook download for your MP3 or iPod. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash EMS Garage. The EMS Garage.
1: checking out right now. Okay, I got the DJ on the phone i want to know if uh you can handle that call as well. Just confirming you are checking the patient.
0: twenty two is on Hello everybody and welcome to the EMS garage I'm your host, Chris montero And we're back, kind of. Um Last week, we gave you some podcasts from EMS Today, and next week, you'll get another podcast from EMS Today. In the meantime, though, you're going to get a podcast about dispatching, and I'm pretty excited about it. I, we have gotten on some cool people today, and we also got Eric. Eric from down under and i've been wanting to get him on my show since i think episode 25 or something like that so here we are 125 episodes later and we're getting him on so i'm pretty excited this is all because of natalie and we'll let them explain why and how and everything so again i'm your host chris Montera, geeky medic on all of the social media sites if you want to find me you can do that there joining me first mr sean eddie hello sir
2: how are you good how have you been Uh, not too bad not too bad just had a couple months off of work just had a new baby oh my god life is good that it is good
0: and you're sleep deprived i'm sure
2: uh yeah you could say that
0: (laughs) oh sorry man well uh thanks for coming on it's been a while since we've had you on and uh i'm glad to have you
2: pleasure's all mine
0: right on joining me next is mr kyle david bates hello sir how are you good and you can't get out of the podcast that easy
1: oh man uh,
0: i know sorry i tried i'd love having you on man hey i've been on in a while i know i'm well you were on in two weeks ago when we were in
1: baltimore baltimore yes we were oh, that was yes, so uh, much fun that was so much fun especially well should we even bring it up no
0: no darts ah.
1: two and O for a few moments
0: uh you're,
1: you're uh, two and one no we're two and oh all right, fine.
0: I'll give you that. <sighs> yeah, I know. I didn't have all my distractors this time. I tried, I tried, but uh, oh, you know Natalie wouldn't step up to the plate and help me with the distraction, so
1: we're trying. Uh, we were focused. Excuse yeah. me, I
3: I gave a distraction. <laughs> oh she, she tried yes
1: yeah, you and Maris tried, I know, but uh, oh, wow. we were focused.
0: <laughs> I earned the
1: prize. I earned the prize
0: Yeah Scott Well, and I think it's because Scott Keir' so tall that he just Absolutely. Kept, he just kept shooting the darts right over my head.
1: I think he did that. He did that a
0: couple times. I'm glad he just didn't hit me. So thanks for coming on. And I really Uh, miss you as always. Yes, thanks for having me. You bet. And that other voice you heard was Miss Paramedic, Miss Natalie Quibido. Hello.
3: Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm awesome. That's awesome.
0: Uh, What have you been up to?
3: Um... Working as usual, I guess i I work a lot, but I just got moved to dispatch, which is why I'm on this show so
0: oh, uh, can I ask a question how did that happen or why or, or do you even care? do you want to tell us stuff the usual something the usable you broke out, sorry,
3: oh, I'm sorry, I said just the usual gen med stuff and stuff like that,
0: oh, but Never mind. I won't even go there. So, uh, oh, I'm losing everybody.
2: Hello? You still got me?
0: Okay. Well, good enough. I lost Kyle. I've lost a few other people. Good enough. Oh, I've lost Natalie. Uh, this is how the show's going to go. Great. All right. Hang on. Add... This is why we have editing. I promise I'll edit it out. Hey, while I'm adding people back into the show, Eric, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do.
4: This is Australia Receiving, (laughs) Ava.
0: Glad to hear you, Down Under.
4: G'day, Chris. Long time listener, first time caller, so to speak, of the garage. Um, I'm here in Sydney, Australia. I am a train driver in my day job which I'm actually not doing at the moment like I should be because I injured myself at work. That's another story. I'm also a podcaster. I have also written a book called A Moment in Time, uh, which has a great deal of paramedic work in it. And I also am a volunteer dispatch supervisor for my local fire service.
0: Right on. So now you're a a volunteer fire dispatcher. What does that mean as far as... You know do you get the call and then you go in and dispatch, or do you work shifts how how would you How would you
4: do that Basically, my service is a volunteer service. We mainly specialize in wildfire, although we do things like car accidents, automatic fire alarms, and all of that sort of thing, um, assist with structural on rural properties and that sort of thing. A call comes in to uh, 000, which is the emergency number here in Australia. And if the person, if it's a fire call, it goes into the main fire um, communication center in Sydney. And then if it's in my area, uh, they call me and then I send the applicable resources. That's pretty much it in a nutshell.
0: But there is one more thing that you didn't, that you didn't quite mention. You're a podcaster too.
4: I am a podcaster as well on com. I do approximately four podcasts a week, and very soon I've got the podcast version of A Moment in Time. Unfortunately, not with the character voices because that would have been rather difficult to have all the inspirations talk in Australian accents. I'm looking at you, Justin. I'm looking at you, Natalie.
0: (laughs)
3: Yeah, I do a terrible accent. You're right.
0: Uh, Nice. Um and what is Channel Eric? What what kind of what kind of podcasts do you do? I, I know there's some music in there, but what what else do you? What's your what's your genre of choice? What do you what do you talk about on your shows?
4: There's there's the music, as you said. I also podcast with my mum, and so we talk about things that are happening to us, things that have happened in the past. And my talk show Eric Pod has recently changed from what's happening in the news into more things about what's happening to me and what I find interesting so my recent episode 307 I spent basically 40 minutes about talking about what happened to me the other day at work and my ambulance ride wow
0: so your impression of an ambulance ride was that your first time in an ambulance
4: I was actually, I didn't end up in an ambulance after all. I ended up in the front seat of a rapid response car after waiting nearly two hours for an ambulance. That's almost another podcast in itself. (laughs)
0: Hey, uh, we've had that one before for sure. So, uh, wow. And so apparently not bad, but did you get transported into an emergency room or?
4: I did. I waited probably another four hours in the emergency room, but I had entertainment all the way along. I had Twitter and I had... Um, the locals turning it on with the local police department and also the security, so I was entertained the nice. things I do for show prep and and material
0: <laughs> that 's why that 's why life is the best one that 's good um, well I'm, i 'm i guess i 'm curious that you also do a podcast with your mother I think that that 's uh I, I, maybe sometime we should have a mother 's podcast we should get a couple of mothers on and and we should uh uh try and bring them on and see what they think about what we do. That'd be pretty funny. What, what does your mom think about this whole podcasting thing?
4: Well, at first I didn't tell her because I didn't think she'd understand it, um, given her age difference and the fact that she hadn't used a computer for about 15 years. And so I basically was doing podcasting solo in 2007, 2008. In 2009, she came and watched me do a show. And then after that, she was hooked and we've been going together um, since two thousand and nine and she also does her own music show on Channel ERC as well.
0: And is that Judy's Blast FM?
4: That is. You've done your research, Chris. Well done. <laughs> well, I have your webpage up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on. So Natalie, you're the inspiration behind the dispatch podcast. So what was your idea? What should we what should we be talking about? My my personal opinion is that You have 90 seconds to pretty much tell me what I need to do, what I need to know, where I need to go. And you're one of the few people that actually get to tell me what to do.
3: See, Eric actually came to me with the dispatch idea, I think. So he's really the inspiration. Um, He had talked about it, I know, months ago. He said he wanted to do a dispatch podcast and I'd say I'd be in, even though I had no experience dispatching except one shift I got thrown in. Um, but now I am now full time dispatching and, uh, it's, it's quite an experience. Um, my system's a little different because, uh, we're a completely archaic system. We don't have ambulance tracking. I lie. We got a- ambulance tracking yesterday, but we have, you know, six units we keep track of all in our head. We, ha- we handwrite everything, every card, every call. So, uh, it actually takes me probably a little bit longer to dispatch than other systems and it's very unique. Um so it was actually Eric's idea so I can't take the credit.
0: Are you the peace app then or no? Am I what? The peace app.
3: The peace app?
0: Oh no. Okay, so the peace app is the primary or the public safety answering point. So basically where the 911 call goes into or are you a secondary peace app basically where they transfer the 911 call after they go fire police or ambulance? And then they try and figure or medical or then they just try and figure it out
3: you were secondary
0: okay and so then how many how many units are you responsible for Then any one time
3: um at one at any given time, I have wait five six five five a l s ambulances and two paratransit vehicles, which are wheelchair vans, and there's only one dispatcher in our call center, so that's my and i and I have two parishes to look after which are counties to you um non-louisiana people so um the first parish that dispatch for is saint landry parish and it's uh has a population of about a hundred thousand people and the second is a voyles parish and uh, they have about 200,000 people so big area
0: wow and do did you uh wow I, I have nothing else to say i got nothing <laughs> sean or kyle have you either have either of you ever been dispatchers or um
2: i have it? never been a dispatcher i've usually tried to avoid that room at all costs it's a very scary same place. here <laughs> very scary place I guess. however however i i do i do wonder and maybe one of you can answer this um, I, I wonder how the dispatchers are so talented, at giving us a call just as we're pulling into the station on our off-duty time. It's just it's 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 like magic. Every time you're just about to pull into the station to go home, we get a call.
3: Don't blame what? me. Blame the EMS gods, man. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a medic. I was, I've been a medic for three years now, and I know I used to get those late calls, and I do it now to the crews, and I I feel so bad. And I was like, no, hey, man. "Liar!" I do. I totally <laughs> Liar! They <feel> <laughs> never feel bad. If you read my Facebook post, I am so remorseful all the time while I'm working. I'm like, "I am so sorry." As and you're actually, as you type it. No, my my crews come on and they say, "No, Nat, you did such a great job. It's not your fault." They have to constantly reassure me that I'm not being a bother. I'm one of those dispatchers.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, you're a dispatcher. It's your
1: it's your job to be a bother. Go <laughs> ahead. Yeah, do, are they, do they bring you coffee?
3: No, we don't even have a coffee pot in the station.
1: Do they want to get a coffee for you?
3: I, I've never asked because if I drink coffee, it's a very small room and I'm going to be like running around and I'm already hyper enough. So, oh, they, so try they try to they try to avoid feeding me sugar.
1: That's probably a good thing because, you know, they sit there and going, oh, no, that's okay. You're going doing a good job. Next thing you know, they bring you coffee and you're going pee a lot. Why am I going pee so much?
3: Take and that would be places. a problem.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Be careful about food you're giving from your crews. Yeah. Yeah,
0: so I have a question. Natalie, you you've already corrected me. Is it Erk or is it Eric?
4: I, I either or Chris. My actual name is Eric, but I'm pretty much known universally on the interweb as Erk, so either's fine. Gotcha. Very cool.
0: So Eric, tell me have you had the chance to uh, you know, be involved or at least see how an American dispatch system works? And then what would you say is the differences between what you do and what they do?
4: Actually, another friend of the podcast, Jamie the Podmedic, um, he took me to his local dispatch center. And that was rather interesting from my point of view because on one side of the room, they had um, the fire and EMS dispatches. And then on, right next to them, they, they had the police dispatches. And so the police were mainly handling the police stuff and the fire and EMS were handling the fire and EMS stuff. But if the um, police dispatchers did have to leave the room for whatever reason, you know, the cops come in and give them too much coffee, well, the fire and EMS guys could could take over for them. Here that's basically unheard of. Each service has got their own centre. And, of course, I should remind the American listeners that fire and EMS in Australia are totally separate.
0: Well, and that's the case in a lot of places too, but the dispatch centers can be, I guess, for lack of a better term, commingled, and that's, that's important. Now, you guys don't receive the, the 000 call. You just receive, You are, are you secondary then, or how does, how does that work for your uh, fire center?
4: I, I would be secondary. What would happen is that the call would come into the primary which, what we call State Fire Command, they put in the details of the call and then it says that it's in a rural fire district and then it tells them which one and then they call me and then up, then it's up to me to do my response. Depending on the area, they may respond as well, especially if it's a um, built up area where we've both got a mutual aid agreement or if it's something like hazmat or structural, they'll come along anyway.
0: All right. So next questions I have no more. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess, I guess for me, the biggest thing is you guys have got a lot of information and uh, actually I do have some questions. I get to go to scenes and Natalie, you probably, Oh, Natalie, gosh, she keeps bouncing on and off. I get to go to scenes and I guess I get to be a part of it and I get to help people. Is it hard from your perspective, Eric, to basically be talking to people before the fire department responds or whatever and just see, you know, not be able to help? Or do you do you not feel that same problem? I mean, I guess I always want to help.
4: It can be very frustrating because we're a volunteer service. And so if we don't have crews sitting at the station, well, we have to page them. And so if we've got a call for something like a motor vehicle accident with people trapped or there's a house fire or something like that, you want to be able to get every single resource to that scene as quick as possible. But then again, having said that, you also don't want to be running the crews from one side of the, um, to use the American term, from one side of the county to the other um, awaiting the arrival of the crews that are closer. So you are in a catch-22. You want to help you know that you've got your all these resources there. Because it's a volunteer service, you don't know what sort of resources are going to arrive. And so instead of notifying uh, one brigade, as we call it, uh, you might notify two because it might be the middle of the day and a lot of people work in this area.
0: Right. So, you know, I, do are you held to specific standards as to how you dispatch or time standards i know here in here in the united states that most dispatchers are held to this idea that they have to have a call processed and ready to go within between 30 and 60 seconds is that is that some of the same time criteria you're under there or do you not really follow uh, or do you not really have a qaqi system built around that
4: my my service, not specifically, because we are secondary, so there is already an inbuilt delay between the time of the original call to the original centre right. and then the call to us, whereas the, um, the EMS, the police, the main fire centre, uh, they do have similar sort of targets.
0: Right. Kyle, have you... You've never had the chance to dispatch or sit in there?
1: I've sat in there. I try to avoid dispatching as much as I can.
0: <laughs> uh, does it drive you as crazy as it does me not to be able to like, go out and help somebody when you know that there's something going on? You're just like,
1: "Oh, I got to go, I want to help." Well, I guess, yeah, I haven't been in it that that long, you know, um, in terms of being a dispatch. I just I can't sit in the room with it, and it's just there's too many blinking lights, and it's too distracting for me, I think. Um, I like to be out, out in the street. You know directly with them, I think it takes a special person uh, to operate in that dispatch center um, you know quick on their feet, lots of thinking it It takes a different personality uh, to be in there and I think uh, a lot of medics and if you notice the history of dispatch over the years, it used to be the older firefighters, the older police officers as they got older they would, they'd be put into uh, the dispatch center, and that wasn 't really always that effective. Uh, for that and now they've started to look at dispatchers as being a a profession uh on their own and if you actually go to maryland maryland actually has a state certification for emergency medical dispatcher that is equal to that of like uh, any other ems certifications so i think that's the way to start looking at it is it's not just somebody just be put into that position uh there's training involved there's knowledge involved with it that you know i think it should be a specialty upon itself
0: well, and it has become that in the United States where there is actually accreditation, and there has been some slow process for them not only to become accredited as a dispatch center but for the dispatchers themselves to become certified or um, whatever the case may be now eric can you can you tell me maybe one of your most difficult calls, or do you want to would you like to talk about maybe a time when you felt helpless or you felt like you really wanted to do more?
4: There's there's so many occasions. The the house fires and the uh, motor vehicle accidents confirm persons trapped, they're probably the worst ones. But sometimes you also, because we mainly deal in wildfire, uh, we don't know what we're going to get when we get the initial call. On my last shift, we had a... Call to a a reserve on on one side of the railway line, and then we were getting other calls to the other side of the railway line from a reserve on the other side. And so, what sounded like a simple call ended up in being a five truck response with the equivalent of a um, of a battalion chief, and basically people on both sides of the railway line fighting this fire. And it ended up there on scene for about five hours in the end over something which sounded so simple.
0: Sean, what are your, what are some of your most memorable experiences with a dispatch center? I mean, something where you felt like they did something over and above what you really needed.
2: Well, let me uh, give a little brief rundown about how our dispatch system works um, Uh, Pretty much a lot different than uh, anything that any of you have described so far. Um, Our dispatch center is actually not even really a secondary because we don't take the 911 calls. Our uh, police department takes the 911 call, and then if it's medical, they forward it to the fire department, who then EMDs the call and then forwards the information to us to dispatch our ambulances. So our dispatch center within the within the company is pretty much just for dispatching ambulances they don't they, they do take some calls to, directly and they will emd but they're in a completely different building completely different side of town same with fire and police they're all in different areas and so they all have to communicate with each other either over the computer or over the phone so having everybody in the same room is not a luxury that they have i don't know that that would be a luxury but uh on to my point um I guess if I was to talk about a incident that I thought where the dispatchers went above and beyond, uh, we had a crew that was on scene with a, uh, with a very hostile person uh, who had a weapon and the crew got on their radio. It was an ambulance only code two call and they asked to send the fire department, but the tone of the medic's voice, you could tell he was a little shook up the dispatcher came back and said, are you code four? Uh, he just queued up the mic and didn't say anything. You could tell something was kind of weird. So she comes back over the air and says, uh, 10-4 will send both agencies, which I took that as she was dispatching law enforcement. And uh, they uh, they recognized that there that there was a situation going on that the crew was actually trapped inside this house with somebody trying to harm them. And the dispatcher recognized that just by the tone of the medic's voice. She had known him for some time and uh, had got law enforcement in there. And everybody turned out okay. The guy was taken to jail and everyone was safe. I thought that was pretty extraordinary. Um, I think it's pretty impressive to see them run um, med alerts or uh, I guess is, I don't know if you use that term where you're at, but or like a mass casualty incident and just managing all the units and while keeping your system status running and still having, you know, still having units available to respond to all your calls. I I think it's pretty impressive. I think a lot of us in the field like to think we know what we're doing and we like to think that we could do the job better uh, than, than a lot of the dispatchers. But once you get inside the room and sit down and have that computer screen in front of you and all those little ambulances and telling them where to go and taking the best route and, keeping the most units on on the street as you can. It's a pretty tough job. And I think most people don't realize that until they actually get in there and do it.
0: Well, and I agree with that. And Natalie, your your internet connection sucks, but you already knew that. She's not even back yet. Hello, Natalie. Hey, I'm back. Okay. (laughs) So we were talking about Dispatching and how hard is it to go from your role as responder to a dispatching role? Are you, do you ever find yourself wishing you could really be out there helping people versus sitting behind the mic, telling people where to go and what to do?
3: Yes, it is miserable.
0: And we're losing you again. Short and sweet, it's miserable. Yeah, it's miserable. Well, that's good.
4: <laughs> one, thing, one thing that I should say, Chris, Go is ahead, when you're in dispatch to expect the unexpected, I was talking a bit earlier about the call that turned into a five-unit and battalion chief response. On the way back from that call, uh, one of the units was returning to station, and they called in an assault in progress in the middle of the road um, where a man was being hit over the head by a hammer. Uh, by a group of four males and so I thought by the way that the people in the truck were talking as though they were going to chase after the particular vehicle that the men drove off in Um, so I I was just imagining like a police pursuit but in a fire truck Uh, fortunately the um, male was fine he actually didn't request an ambulance which I thought was rather interesting um, considering that he was smacked over the head several times with a hammer but expect the unexpected.
0: I'm sorry, but uh, uh, smacked over the head several times with a. With, <laughs> sorry, I. Uh, I it, it's funny the things we find f- funny in our industry. Sorry, I, it was a bit of a thing. So, Natalie, you said yes. it. It sucks. That's all we it got.
3: Sucks. So. I'm sorry. My internet is really bad here. We just had all those tornadoes in the area.
0: Oh, way, way, way.
3: When wah, wah. so we're having trouble with our satellite and it's satellite internet.
0: Okay. So, so, so anyway, tell, it sucks. But, but tell me, <clears throat> but tell me how you made that transition from responder to dispatcher, or have you?
3: Um, it's it's an ongoing process, really. It is. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's difficult, and I struggle with it, but. I just try to do my cruise justice. I try to do my patient, patience justice and dispatching correctly and efficiently, I guess you can say, is the best, you know, that's the best I can do behind the desk is to be the most efficient and um, smartest, I guess you can say, as far as um, truck placement and who goes where.
0: And what about... Do you often feel, and I know you've said this before already, but do you often feel the pain of the people behind the, behind the microphone when they're, you know, you've just given them their 10th call for the day and they're just like, Oh, please no more.
3: Yes, I really do. Um, but luckily I've, I've worked with the same people for about two and a half years now. So I know them enough to know what their limitations are. And I could call them personally and say, Hey, look, I know you just ran a really bad call, but you're the closest unit to this. I am so sorry. and And because we have a friendship, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, I'm the only trained dispatcher as far as um, certifications go. We have three other dispatchers that work opposite shifts, and they're not even first responders or EMTs. so they don't they don't really um, sometimes they don't understand our pain as as providers. And they just throw calls at you. But I've gotten really good feedback from the crew saying, you always know what to say and how to say it. I prefer to ask my crews to go somewhere instead of telling them. So uh, it, it's working so far. But I really do feel the pain when I say, I know this is your 12th call, but you have to go on it and I'm sorry.
0: Did you, do you, do you miss the field at all or No
3: so bad. (laughs) I I actually just jumped on a truck on Saturday. Um, one of the supervisors needed me on a truck instead of dispatch. So I got to work at 24 on a very, very busy truck in a, in our parish. And I got to, I got really legitimate calls. I got to run an MI and a CVA and an OD that needed to be tubed. So I felt, um, I felt that old good, medic warmness down in my heart again. So, but I really do miss the truck more often than not.
0: And Eric, are you, you're not a responder then. You're just, you are just, I don't want to say just a dispatcher. You are a dispatcher. So, uh, or have you been a responder in the past?
4: Uh, I have been a wildfire firefighter before. So I do know what the guys and girls out there on the trucks go through as part of our training Uh, we have to have a um, basic understanding of what goes on on the truck. Some of our members actually are responders in the same way that they are dispatchers, but what we have to tell them is if you are here on a dispatch shift, you are here as a dispatch member and just because there's a good call involving your brigade, you are not going. You are here as a dispatcher. What you do when you volunteer in your own brigade that's up to you.
0: Right. And I think that sometimes, and I, that's why I'm saying I I could not, that is the hardest job we have. And, you know, I, I sit and I think about our dispatch center and they do an excellent job and it is so hard. Some of the things that they have to encounter and some of the things that they have to do. And I I can't even imagine the stress that that goes along with that job, because again we get to we get we get to offload our stress a little bit. We get to um, use our hands, use our feet, use our minds in a different way to help patients or to help the situation. Versus a dispatcher, all you get to do is use your voice and your mind to work through the problem. Um, have it's, you guys?
3: It's like a. I'm sorry. It's like a 12 hour game of chess. That's what I, I explained to my, my, my parents the other night. They, they asked, uh, you know, I got off of work and I was really exhausted. And I said, you know, it's a different kind of exhaustion at the end of a shift. It's not so much physical exhaustion. Like I am after a 72 hour shift, 12 hours behind that desk is like a 12 hour game of chess. And I'm just mentally and emotionally exhausted. And it's, it's a totally different ball game. It's just, it's, I like that I've, I've been able to see that because I always took dispatching for granted I guess so it's interesting
4: so a question for everyone go ahead should, should visiting the dispatch center be a part of or is it a part of your basic EMT training to say you know this is what it's like from the other end I just don't have a computer screen well I don't have a computer screen where where it tells me where my fire trucks are but there's not a a Chris, but a Chris icon and there's not a Natalie icon and there's not a Kyle icon that I'm just steering around just for the hell of it is that something that would be beneficial? You know what um, in the, the
2: place where I work all of our new hires uh, EMTs, paramedics um, they're all required to do a 12 hour shift in dispatch uh, as part of their orientation they're also required to work in the various other departments of our, of our company but uh, they're they're required to sit in there and interact with the dispatchers. They don't actually do any dispatching duties. They just sit there and observe and ask questions and uh, learn about system status and learn about the areas and how they do their job. Um, likewise, our dispatchers, uh, as part of their orientation, are required to do a 12-hour shift on an ambulance. Uh, once again, as an observer... Uh, they they ride in the back, and they go on all the calls with us, and they get to see it from the field level as well. Um, there's some dispatchers that periodically will come and do a ride along, n- not so much with the field going in and sitting in with dispatch. But uh, I think it's beneficial. I think maybe some more of that uh, would be more beneficial. I think just a 12-hour shift, when you just start working there, you just getting to know things. I think it's a little overwhelming. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing people rotate through there every every year or so just to get a little hands on time and see what each department has to go through. Um all of our dispatchers actually have to be certified as EMTs. They don't have to have any experience working as an EMT, but they have to they have to have their EMT basic card at a minimum before they can work in there. And so uh wouldn't be opposed to seeing them come out and do some work in the field and some of us go and do some work in there. I think there'd be a lot of good things that came out of that
0: well as a part of our um initial hiring process and we've we've done this both for our dispatch center because we don't own our dispatch center it's owned by the town of vale and we contract with them but for us all of our emts and paramedics that we knew I hired go and sit with dispatch for eight hours and then, likewise, likewise, anybody that they hire, they come and do a ride-along with our service for eight hours. And I think that over time, that helps them at least understand where we're coming from and understand that when you're in the field and you don't answer the radio, it's understandable. Or if you're in the field and you call dispatch and they don't answer the radio, there's a reason why and if they tell you to stand by or whatever, or you, you recognize that the different stresses that are involved, and I know that's that's huge for our service. Kyle and Natalie, what happens in yours?
3: Oh, I guess I'll go. <laughs> I was waiting for Kyle. Um, we don't have any of that, which I think is ridiculous. Um, but we're a very small company. It's hard to pull people for a voluntary eight hour shift into dispatch and it's hard to get the dispatches cause there's only four of us at the company and we rotate day shift, night shift, day shift, night shift. Um, it's difficult to do that because there's so few of us without causing crazy exhaustion, I guess. But that is something that I always asked when I first was hired. Why don't we do that? Especially when there are new dispatchers, they don't understand exactly or how we work. They don't understand our area because we work in a very large parish. Both of the parishes that I dispatch for are very large and they'll call us 10 minutes after they dispatch a call and say, why aren't you on scene? Well, they don't understand that it takes about 20 minutes to get across this swamp or whatever. So it's something I'd like to see implemented. And I have actually talked to my boss about and he's seriously considering trying to get that implemented with our company.
0: Kyle, are you there? Hello. Okay. Well, I know Kyle's dealing with kid issues too, so you know, he's got a little well,
2: kid. I have I have a couple questions. Go ahead, if you John. Don't mind. Go ahead, John. Okay. Uh, this one is for Natalie. Um, working in an area where you have like like you said five or m- maybe six ambulances, um, how do you determine who's the closest, or do you go off of a closest unit system? Because before I worked. At the, at the large place I do now, I worked for a little mom and pop shop where we had three ambulances on at night and maybe five or six during the day. And it was, you were assigned your areas and the areas that had two ambulances were on a rotation. It didn't matter who was closest. Uh, how do you guys do that?
3: We used to do rotating um, until, because we all, when I first started the company, we had three ambulances and we only worked out of, Central, which was headquarters, so it was rotating. But now that we've expanded, and we've grown bigger, we have um, every unit has their own station, so now it is closest. And um, you know, if one of my crews is getting slammed, I'll rotate them to a different station and let the other station that hasn't been so busy run calls. But um, we do rotate, and it's closest. Um, my experience in the truck has helped me dispatch what's closest because I know the areas really well. I worked in both of the parishes that we cover, so I know who's closest just by having experience working there. And if not, we have um, I have handy Google Maps, and I'll uh, just plug in an address and see who's the closest unit. I use technology to my advantage sometimes.
2: Okay. Um, that's interesting that you said about moving people from station to station, because, uh, at, at our ambulance service, we cover, uh, we cover one rather large metropolitan area. And then, uh, we have about, uh, what about 10 or 12, um, stations that are at, in smaller areas we've got, you know, out in the Mojave desert and then some towards the, uh, Southern part of the San Joaquin Valley. And, um, when those crews we we run we run those stations just like we do in our metro area. We run them off a of system status. If a busier station gets a call, the less busy station comes over to cover until that until that crew gets back in into quarters. Do you guys do something similar to that? Do you have like a set system or is it just kind of your discretion as to who's busy and who's not?
3: Um, we have something like like system status. Um, I. The large provider in our area is Acadian, and um, they have a system status status, uh, system in place. Well, it sounds redundant. Anyway, and we kind of follow what they have, but kind of tweaks a little bit because we do have um, our center city, which is where our headquarters is based out of, is very busy. Um, If we have both of our units that are covering that area that go out on calls, we do pull from our more rural stations. To like um, a standby point, which we call a signal S, which is just standby. And they come halfway between their station and ours because we don't want to leave the more rural um, city uncovered. So we find a nice halfway point between um, rural and metro.
2: See, we used to do something like that. And I'm sorry, Chris, I'm not trying to take over your show here. But uh, we used to do something like that out in the, out in our desert areas. Um, we would have them post halfway, but uh, where we ran into problems was with our response time requirements for our contract. And if we were sitting halfway, no matter where that call came out, we were guaranteed to get a late call. Um, if we moved you know, a, a car that normally runs one call on a 48-hour shift to one of our busier areas and actually put them in the station right in the middle of that town, they were more likely to run a call there than they were out in out in the station where they're assigned. So, you know, our chances of getting a late call are decreased rather than sitting at a halfway point. Um, do you guys run into that? Do, do you have... Um Response times that that you have to meet, or are they really strict about it? Is there exceptions? Uh, how does that work?
3: Um, not so much in either parent.
0: Whoop, and we lose Natalie. Awesome. Not so much. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you are taking over my podcast, I work Sean for Eddie.
3: Thirty minutes.
0: Natalie, we lost you. <laughs> we lost you for a minute. Go ahead.
3: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's an I, it's, it's difficult here with this internet. Um, can you guys hear me okay now? Yeah. Okay. Um, we, we have some areas that cannot be reached. Um, it takes about 45 minutes to an hour to reach some of those. Uh, as you know, when Jeremiah rode with us this summer, he talked a little bit about that. Um, so we do not have time constraints as far as um, not like 911 contracts go. But we do try to honor the, especially in Center City, which is what I call it. It's not the real name of the city. Um, we try to stay under ten minute um, on scene to, uh, response time, but that's not possible in other of the in any of the other places that we cover. So we just try to keep it reasonable. I had a forty five minute response time to a chest pain yesterday, but that's the best that we could do because there were at the very end of the parish line and the closest unit went and they were 45 minutes away. So we just do the best that we can with what we have.
2: Yeah. You know, we have a couple areas like that where there's just, there's just absolutely no way that we're going to get there in a timely manner. But, um, our response times in like the, in, in the metropolitan areas, we're supposed to be there. It depends on the priority of the call, but for the most part, um, less than eight minutes and fifty nine seconds. And we have some areas where our response time requirement is uh, seventy five minutes. So uh, we kind of go on both ends of the spectrum there.
3: That's right. I-, I toured your wonderful county once upon a time, so I I know the areas that you're talking about. Um, and I just wanted to say that if we don't have a unit close. And we think that any other ambulance service in the area may, we do call um, those ambulance services and try to dispatch any ambulance, whether it's our company or theirs, to call as quickly as we can, because there are two other services that um, cover St. Landry and Oil's Parish as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there for people who are worried about my 45-minute response times.
2: Yeah, we have a we have a similar agreement worked out with AMR um, up by up in our Fraser Park area. We've if if we're out of the area, then they'll just send the closest ambulance. But for the most part, the other areas that we're covering, we pretty much are the closest. It doesn't matter where we're coming from.
0: And Eric, do you guys have? Response time standards in Australia. I know you already talked about that, but I just want to see you know, as you get more rural, is there something that you have to do in Australia versus um, maybe the more urban areas of Australia?
4: What I basically do in my area is I basically operate over the equivalent of a free county area. And so in each of those areas, we have. 15 separate brigades and so if the call comes in for one area we'll dispatch that area and depending on what time of the day it is and how likely it is that we'll get a response we'll also brigade um, also page the the next brigade as well so that's pretty much how we get around it the best that we usually do if there's not anyone at the station depending on the station. It could be 10 minutes from page activation to someone um, responding.
0: And Kyle, I know you had a call from Australia in the middle of this, which is kind of ironic. Um, But at your service, do you have any formal training for your new emts or new paramedics to go to the dispatch center and then vice versa do you have any uh training for the for the dispatchers to come and ride along with you guys or how does that work in your system kyle hello man
3: kyle is not there He's, he's just as sketchy as I
0: am. Well, he's talking to Nadine Levick on the other line. <laughs> so apparently the EMS garage takes a back seat to Nadine Levick. Um, Sean or Natalie, do you guys have any more questions for Eric or any more places you wanted this plate, this podcast to go?
2: Uh, I have a question for Eric. Um, what kind of training, um, are you guys required to have? Is it like us where we, I mean, you can actually get a national EMD certification or um, is it on on the job training? How does that work for you?
4: In my particular service, a lot of it is on the job. We have three separate levels. We have our communications center assistant and then communications, um, communications center operator and then communications center supervisor They've only just started bringing out a nationally accredited course for us uh, that we could take to other centres as well. I've done the first level and I should do the next two levels when those courses are actually run. But a lot of it is on the job. I had a trainee on my last shift who was also a member of the brigade and so she's used to being on the appliance. So I'll ask Natalie the question, how confusing was it when you were first over the radio in dispatch to get into your head that you actually are the dispatcher and you're not in the ambulance. How difficult was that?
3: Um, like I said, I've only been in dispatch full-time for about a month now, so I'm still trying to realise that I'm taking these calls and I want to run out the door with the crew and I'm like, wait, I'm needed here behind the desk. So it's uh, it's very difficult and it's I'm still adjusting. And um, it kind of, it really does break my heart, because like I was saying before, and I think it got cut off, it, I actually get to hear the callers, and I get to hear their distress, whereas when I was on an ambulance, I just heard my dispatcher's voice saying, oh, it's chest pain, oh, it's possible DOA, and now I'm hearing it, and I'm hearing the wife and the brother and the mother crying and screaming and trying to stay calm and it's, it's just a different world of,
0: but Natalie, can I ask you a question? Sure. How do you control your emotion then during that time? I mean, how do you keep from relaying the emotion that's happening on the other end of the phone for you?
3: Um, you know, I am a very emotional person, but at work, I think if you guys were to see me work, you wouldn't recognize me because I, I try to keep up a wall um, between what's happening at work and what's going on in my, you know, emotional brain. Um, and I just, uh, I'm really good at staying calm and I always have been, which is why, you know, whenever I was in college and I didn't know where I wanted to go with my life, I, uh, my brother-in-law actually suggested EMS to me because I'm always very calm and rational. So it, it's just something that happened now, as far as some of the other dispatchers that work for us, I know they they struggle with it, and they're not very good at relaying the the message non emotionally to the crews and to the caller. But um, it's it's something that I think some people are just good at, and some people have to just hopefully pick up, if not you know, if not learn over time.
4: Pretty much yeah. like like the um, responders run on, adre- on adrenaline, um, in dispatch we're sort of running on a different type of adrenaline where if, if, if you've got a lot of vehicles moving around, if you've got a lot of things happening, but it's when you, um, and I was not going to say the Q word, um, when you have a bit of time later on, that's when things can hit you, especially like Natalie was saying earlier, um, you have a 12-hour shift, you're totally exhausted, that's when you feel the things like emotions
2: if you don't mind, I have one more question for Natalie. Oh, go ahead <laughs> all right um, i've often wondered this uh first question is a do you guys use like uh, the e m d cards like we use uh where you have like a algorithm that you have to follow and to in order to assign a unit a priority call, and then second one um if you do use something like that, is it difficult for you as a paramedic, someone who is used to going in and doing a thorough assessment on somebody and coming up with an impression of what you think is going on? Is it hard to not try and do that over the phone and just read off the cards?
3: Um, we actually don't. Okay. We do have EMD cards, but they're not organized and they're probably about 20 years old. Like I said, mom and pop service. Um, I am the only dispatcher that really gives instructions over the phone. And I I thank God that I have medical training. Um, But I do, I I have been said, uh, my boss did comment the other day that uh, I do ask too many questions sometimes because I'm trying to do an assessment in my head over the phone. And uh, that's not my job, but I'm trying to give my crews information because I know I liked as much information as I could going into a call. Um, But I I try to ask at least the relevant questions just to give my paramedics and EMTs a heads up, but, uh, you know, no cards here. It's all, uh, Ms. P improv, I guess, over the phone.
2: That's, th- that's interesting because, uh, where I work, we, we have the cards and the dispatchers are actually, uh I remember when I was in there doing my, um, my orientation, they were very strict on, uh, they, they had someone there who was training, who was actually a paramedic that, um, that went into dispatch cause they wanted to. And they were very, uh, they were very strict about you follow the cards. You do not, you know, you don't do your assessment over the phone. You keep the call short. They were, you know, they have a system of doing things and they have, they have a compliance that they have to meet. And all of their, um, all of their calls are, looked at for QA and they get a score and whatnot. And so, and the the particular medic I was talking to um, said, it's very difficult to not sit there and try and do a thorough assessment on this person. Like I'm just supposed to read off, read off the card. And she even made the comment that on several occasions that she would dispatch the call for chest pain or for shortness of breath when She knew it wasn't that she knew someone called because their foot hurt and she had to ask them if they're having difficulty breathing. And they said, "Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I am." So then she had to put the call out as short as breath or I don't exactly know how it works. But um, I thought that was really interesting and I could see that being a major challenge for me.
4: I was able to go to my ambulance services control room to have a look at that sort of similar thing and they've got a similar system on the computer uh, with a manual backup and if the operators don't say the things that are highlighted in bold uh, on their QA assessments, they, they get marked down. You even have to ask things like, is the patient conscious? And you know that they're conscious because they're talking to you but you still got to ask the question.
2: Yeah, it's the same thing with us. And sometimes I think that the questions are, they kind of lead people to, I mean, when you ask people yes or no questions, it's, I think a lot of times people will try and answer to make you, to give you the impression that this is an emergency. Well, yeah, he's having trouble breathing. Well, yeah, he's changing colors. No, no, he's not, he's, he's, he's not alert. And, And there's just way too many times where we get dispatched priority one for someone who, could have had a taxi respond. It's, it's, it's a little frustrating, and I don't know. I don't have all, all the answers, but it's, it's interesting to see that you guys run into the same
4: thing. When I had my little injury and my little ambulance ride the other day that took nearly two hours to arrive because I was a low priority when the rapid response car, which in that case was a real oxymoron, you know, two hours later, uh, they had me down as leg cramps when it turned out that I partially tore the muscles. So a lot of the time they can only go on what they were told and because I actually didn't physically talk to the operator myself, that did affect the, um, the response.
0: Well, and I think that that's what we found in the American Clawson system is, is that pain doesn't often come across as a high priority call when it really should be. And I think that, um, I think we're learning things as we go through that system to, to do it. I unfortunately have to go. We are really running late. So I wanted to give everybody a chance to plug their stuff and I'm going to let Eric go last. So Natalie who are you and tell us where people can find you if you want to be found and uh, all that good stuff.
3: Cool. I'm Natalie Quibido. Uh, You can find me on www.missparamedic.com. Also at Miss Paramedic on Twitter and my little podcast that could called gin med show at ginmedshow.com. Google Miss Paramedic and you'll find me.
0: And you need to uh, do more, do more episodes.
3: We have actually about four or five coming up really soon, but uh we're off of hiatus and we're now starting to crank out some episodes, so stay tuned, guys.
0: That's so showbiz of you to say hiatus. <laughs>
3: well well you heard us in Baltimore. We've been through a lot, all the hosts separately. So it's nice that we're all back. So
0: I know you have. And I'm saying goodbye for Kyle David Bates. Apparently he's still on the on the phone with Nadine Lovick, so Kyle David Bates, Kyle dot com and all those good things. And if you want a logo design for your web site or for anything, just uh just contact him because he really rocks and he's been a good friend of the show. Sean Eddy, where can people find you?
2: Well, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Eddy, uh, same thing on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Sean Eddy. And you can also find me on both of my blogs, uh medicmadness.com and droidmedic.com.
3: Can I just interject and say I love Celebrity Medic so much?
2: Yeah, I uh are are you a fan of The Office?
3: Of course I am and I've been reading it obsessively. <laughs> I like the Dwight one.
2: Oh, you'll 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 like who's coming out today. I'm not going to say it, but uh you'll you'll like it.
0: Whoa whoa whoa. How come I don't know about this thing? Why why, why don't I know?
3: Because you are so unconnected, Montera. Uh. I'm kidding. I'm trolling. I'm trolling. It's
0: true. It's true. It's true. No, no, it's fine. Uh, thank you guys very much. Eric, you get nearly the last word. Where can people find you? And dude, I want to have you back. You need to come on all of our podcasts from now on.
4: Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure, Chris. Thank you. You can find me on Twitter as pod. You can find me on uh, www.channelerk.com and you can buy a print version, an electronic version or listen to the podcast version from the April 1st of A Moment in Time starring a certain female paramedic at novel.com
0: Uh oh A certain female paramedic, would we know her? Is she a friend of the show? Jeez. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening to us and really we appreciate everything you guys do for us and listen to us. So I'm Chris Montero, Geeky Medic on all the websites. Please join us next time when we talk more about issues that concern you. Indiana.